Hello, my name is David Turner and this is another episode of Lunar Poetry Shorts. Today I'm in Malden in South London with Paul Cree. Hello, Paul. Hello, How good afternoon. I'm very good, mate. Very um, good. Yeah, we're going to start with a reading and we'll get on with the questions. Yeah. Right, so this is, uh, this is called Crows. The internet said on mass they're called a murder. A murder in time. On the bench in the common. Sat clocking the crows. Boss in the green. On the grass and in the trees, keeping the parakeets in check. They move like a squadron, pepper potting across the common, communicating in crow speak. Speaking about me, perhaps. The internet said they recognise faces. I wonder if they notice I've been reading this book for the last six weeks. Yesterday I experimented, got in amongst them on the grass with a bag of barbecue hula hoops. Within a few carefully executed movements, they surrounded me. I got scared and did that half-fast walk, half-run like I'm trying to clench my bum cheeks under pressure whilst rushing to catch a bus. This morning I heard them in the tree outside my house going mental, like pillheads in them 90s warehouse raves blowing on them plastic horns. On the internet I'd read about these so-called crow courts and I wondered if that's what all the noise was. When the noise just stopped, it suddenly occurred to me that the murder might have murdered and what had that poor crow done to deserve it? Sat on the bench again and I'm watching them, watching me. I think they know I've been reading stuff about them on the internet. Though maybe they don't know that I'm no threat. I'm just curious, bored of humans and unemployed. That's it. Cheers, man. I was thinking the other day, I'd love a pet crow, but yeah, I don't want to make a crow a pet. I'd like a crow to choose me. That's what I want. I think they're mental. Do you know what I think they do? Crows are mad. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're unlike any other avian species. Mm. They're like, highly intelligent. I don't go over that way very often, but we was walking across uh, Clapham Common. Yeah. And you do get the impression that they're letting you be there. Like if they didn't want you there, you'd have yeah, to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. There's a guy on YouTube somewhere in America. He's trained them to to fly with him in his car. Oh, so there's a yeah, whole yeah. bank of them, and he yeah. like feeds them out the window and stuff, man. They're 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 fascinating. Mm. And when you start watching them, it's like I like doing. There's a little common over there. It's kind of where this was set. You can watch how they operate, and they have little scouts on on lookouts, yeah. and and. Uh, even when you, if you get familiar with them, they start squawking when you come up yeah, the street because yeah. they're sick. That's mad. Yeah, they yeah. do that funny chattering thing as well. Which yeah, is odd. Um, yeah, they have hierarchies. Yeah. And, you know, if it's no surprise that you know, like, almost every culture is written about them. Yeah, from I don't know, from the Mayans to to uh, to here to wherever. You know, like, <laughs> you know, I think that, I, don't know, I love I love the crows, man. I could talk about, we're not supposed to be talking about crows all day, but I could yeah. do that. But, um, crows yeah. um, so what brought you to poetry? Um, there's probably two things really. Uh, number one, I was always, I've been writing lyrics for MCM, like rapping since I was, I started doing that when I was 16, 17. So writing rhymes and I'd written stories when I was younger like a lot younger so maybe up until about the age of I don't know I was at primary school and 
yeah, 10, 11. I like to write. I used to write little comics and stuff at home. Um, and then, yeah, I got in, I, I've always been around music. Mm. So, I'm from a big family. My mum and dad are musicians. And my dad had a little record deal in the, in the 80s and stuff. And I'm one of seven kids and I'm one of the youngest. And every single one of my brothers and sisters all has their own taste in music. So I grew up with all of that. And uh, oddly enough, one of the, I played the drums when I was younger. So my grandpa was a jazz drummer and I inherited some of his practice pads. So I was given those as a kid. And I loved the drums and but I suppose as my way of rebelling as a kid was to not do music. When I was at school, <laughs> it, I went to the same school as all my brothers and sisters. And we were known as a family for not being very good academically, but being quite good at music and sort of performing arts. Well, just music really, maybe a little bit of drama, I suppose. But I want to be good at football. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. uh, music was always a, a thing that could slightly alienate you in a way. Um, I think you can tell a lot. Music says a lot, you know, your interests about what kind of background you come from, that kind of thing. And it was everyone was into music. It wasn't quite as cool as, as football, you know, being good at football. I love football. All my family liked football, but I weren't all that good at it. But I wanted to play football, so I was like, right, I stopped playing the drums. Don't want to do music no more. But I always listened to it. And uh, I got really into, um, my big sister was into like house and techno and stuff. And I got quite into like dance music. I liked electronic music. And I sort of followed that line. So by the time I got to 14, I got really into um, like jungle, like drum and bass. And my brother who's one up from me. We were quite close, I guess. He was the same. So it was around the time when Ronnie Sires and they had, they had won the Mercury mm. Prize. So I remember one of my older brothers had a record and he had a, there was a label Ninja Tune, and he'd been going for years, right? But they had, it was quite experimental. I remember hearing this record in my brother's room. I can't remember the name of it. It was never a big release, but it was like a drum and bass track and it had um this most mental, what to me was like absurd drums. So what, it, what I guess what Jungle and all that was, was based on was taking that old funk break, that England break, and chopping it up and doing loads of mad things with it. And to me at the time, hearing that, I mean, I remember Jungle, but not really being into it. You know, kids at school were into it. And then when I latched onto it, it was like, wow, this is nuts. Because it was, it was like really angry, loud music, and it was drums. I loved drums. And I kind of, by getting into drum and bass, it was sort of an acceptable way back into music for me and it was at the same time keeping that distance from my family because even though me and my brother that was close in age to me were into it no one else was so it was like yeah, well, I'm back in music now but this is yeah, this is my way back in and inevitably you know that music out you know I wanted to get involved um my wish I shared a room with my brother or two of my brothers and one of them got decks because he had a job and uh he started buying records I wanted to DJ and then one day he was like I was never going to be able to save up money and buy records and get a set of decks and he wouldn't let me go on his ones. He's like, oh, why don't you, why don't you MC? And to me at the time, it was like, really? Now I'm a, a little, little white kid from Hawley in Surrey. 
like we don't do that but then as you sit down and think about it and you're like oh no hold on it's just writing little words and stuff and I love the MCs all the jungle guys the kind of ragged jungle MCs they just started writing lyrics and uh, progressed into doing parties met a few other mates that DJ'd started putting on our own events I was going to say that obviously you had that link with your brother yeah into that same sort of music but where you were going to school at the time of growing up was there much of a scene yeah uh, it wasn't massive my oldest brother he DJ'd I mean, they weren't playing drum and bass and that, but they used to put on parties. Yeah. They were playing hip-hop and all sorts of things. So there was that going on. And there were always people around that we knew were doing things. So we'd get... The funny thing about that music and Garage and all of the stuff that came after it was there was like... Tape cassettes was a big thing. Because you'd get people that would record the pirate stations and there were some pirates we could pick up where we were. And because and of Crawley, where I went to school... There's so many ties to London there. So many people are from London or so many people have got family in London. There were always like things coming down. Tapes of pirate radio stations. And, and of course, you'd get the big raves back then. Like the legal ones they do up in Milton Keynes and, and London and like One Nation and Helter Skelter. And they'd produce these tape packs. So you could buy it. They were like 25 quid. And you'd get this massive like box and they'd have like 15 tapes of it of every DJ from the rave yeah and it would like live live recordings and sometimes really shit live recordings but that was it that was to us when we were like 14 yeah all my that's what we had and you always had older brothers or older sisters who had these tapes and you'd get copies of the tapes and you'd be sitting on the bus <laughs> but, but you, these tapes yeah were were really really important and that sense of because um, we talked a bit before the other day about um, like living in a satellite town yeah 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 but I suppose more so when you were growing up maybe did Crawley feel more like a a sort of an extended London borough in a way because it would have been really heavily populated by people who've moved out yes and no yes and no Um, it it was far enough away to be its own place yeah and I think there were, you know, we used to joke when we were younger, I think there were a lot of people there that liked to think that they were from London, you know. Mm. And uh, <laughs> there were some people that legitimately were. And certainly a lot of people had family from mm. there. But I think there were some people that liked to think it was... Because my next know. question was going to be, what was the pressure like then? So once you start DJing or MCing or even writing poetry, was it inevitable that the next step was then you had to travel to and I don't mean this to sound London centric it's just that Crawley is a satellite town of London yeah definitely I just mean in the concept of like you it was then expected that you went and did you travelled up to London and that's where you took mainly most of your influence yeah like my my dad always said you know my my dad was doing music and that locally the problem with that area in particular because you were sandwiched right in between London and Brighton Mm. so two I don't know, like cultural epicenters, if you like, and you're in the middle. So anyone that's vaguely into anything, whether it's like goth music or, I don't know, like jungle, whatever, why go to something local where you can go go see the best people and you can go up to London to do it or you can go down to Brighton because it was, you could be in either city in 40 minutes, you know, and get home. And because of the airport, you could get back, well, not from Brighton, but from London, you could get back 24 hours a day. Yeah. 
So it was, it was easy. So I, so there were, there were always a few little local people that were trying to set someone up. But there was a big pirate when I was a kid, when we were like 16, uh, Blazer Femme that was going around crawling. And, uh, and then there was Kickoff Femme. And there was always someone doing something. But the problem was, yeah, we and we, we there was a little there was a little venue in Hawley called the Liquid Lounge, which had gone through a succession of different like a little wine bar, and it were had <laughs> gone through a succession of different names, always the same people owning it. It would routinely get its license taken away, and then it would reopen under a new name, and it's the same same family still. It's just a, just a horrible little place, but. You know, maybe every two years you'd get a new group of people that would come in and try and run a yeah. run a garage night, and like you just get loads of loads of trouble. Like we used to run an event there at night. It was never nothing bad, but it was just like punch outs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just small town kid. We'd get kids from Crawley, kids from Hawley, kids from Redhill, kids from Croydon, kids from East Grinstead, and it's all these. And you're not getting the, you're not getting the kind of kids that that would go to London because they're a little bit clued up or they might go to London to go and see a band. Now you're getting <laughs> local rude boys yeah, yeah. That, and it's all just bravado and especially when the music, when Garage kind of fizzled out of mainstream and was just becoming grime and becoming darker and more aggressive. You know, we were running nights where there were hardly any girls and just loads of rude boys. Yeah, yeah. And everyone wants to get on the mic, and it was just like, yeah, it was just doing little skirmishes all the time. <laughs> so you, after a while, you think we're trying to set something up here, like locally, mm. and but we, we and also we didn't have a fucking clue what we were doing. So you just think, why bother? You know what I mean? It's like anyone with with a sense will just go down to um, go to Brighton or go to London or whatever. But um, before we go on, maybe we can have a second reading. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's called Turbo Breeze. The pub garden is busy. Bobble jumpered young 20s types are smiling, laughing and speaking loudly. Defying the cold November air. Gripping pints on glasses of wine like it's a Friday. Do these people actually have jobs or what? I say. She doesn't reply. I've not been in this pub with her before, yet it feels like an annual trip to an arrogant relative who's that bit more successful. We're sat on the wrong side of the bench. She's staring at the fence at the back of the garden. I'm looking at her. Left leg crossed over right in light blue denim. Handbag still hooked over left shoulder. Sitting on the waist length well fitted black leather jacket. She looks good. She always does. Her glass of red wine is half full and has been for the last 20 minutes. Finish my drink. Put the glass down on the bench and wipe my mouth. That was my fourth pint of premium Dutch lager. I drank my four pints at premium speed on an empty tummy and I'm starting to speak double Dutch. What feels like a million bubbles of gas have now expanded my belly. All that sugar has sent a power surge to my head and I'm now overloading with words like CFAX gone wrong on screen. It's a mistake I've made what seems like a thousand times or more. In between the stick slim gaps between sentences I cover my mouth to burp. 
I'm seasick. Drinking too quick. My reasoning is, if there's beer between my lips, it keeps my mouth from making amateur rescue attempts in the choppy waters of uncomfortable silences. My body leans in towards her. My hands are frantic as I speak. I tell her how much I like her, how much she means to me, that I know this speech has been on repeat and I repeat it every time she sees me, but I mean it. I really mean it. I know, she says. Sat upright, her body is positioned away from me. She doesn't look at me. She barely moves. I'm trying to make sense of this by drastically paddle splashing makeshift sentences. But her ears are waterproof. Yet my mouth moves like a seal pup pursued by a shark. Fuck's sake. I say under my breath as I finish speaking and just look at the fence. The bell for last orders rings and she makes her excuse to leave. We've maintained our roles. Normal service resumed. I speak too much. She doesn't say enough. And I'm left with a frustration so familiar I've given it a name. Guaranteed the foreseeable future will be spent bar brawling with the idea that it's the same for her. I wait five minutes till she's gone. Cover my mouth, lean forward and let out another gassy burp. I pick myself up and walk out the pub, wobbling from the waves a distant cruise ship made, wading the water out the lifeboat, then heading home. Yeah, man. So I let a little bit of, bit of a burp, funny enough, had a little burp fly <laughs> in the middle of that. So that perfect. chocolate brownie, thanks mum. <laughs> <laughs> bit of an assumption here, but I... Like most people, you probably started reading on open mic nights and yeah, yeah, yeah. and got going in that way to yeah. develop your own style of writing and whatever in terms of poetry. Um, how do you develop your work now? Because I know you, uh, just last week you were at Michelle Madsen's ninety-seven yeah. minute each. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, everything starts at home, I suppose. What home being like my head. You know, I I don't think a lot's changed much since I started doing it. Other than I, I write a lot more on computers now, but I think over the last sort of five years, I got really into longer and longer forms of of writing. I suppose, um, like big stories. I, feel, I like stories. However, I've still got tons and tons of notebooks that I keep with just little scribbles, ideas. I have a note file on my phone with just random rhymes on it, little thoughts. Um, yeah, still write things down. But it, it depends what I'm doing. I have days where there's a little bit more structure, I suppose. Where back then, when I, when I first started doing it, even with rapping, man, there was, I would routinely sit down most days. I'd come home from work, put a beat on and just... I guess a term I wouldn't have known of back then, but would I suppose free write. Uh, that's that's how I did it, and I'd and you know you'd, you'd hit on an idea and run with it. I still do that from time to time, uh, with or without music, depends what I'm doing. But generally, with the story writing stuff, I quite often already have a fixed idea in my head of what it is. 
am I going to put this? Like, I don't mean to say that the poetry is not important in any way, but do you think you needed poetry to take you from writing lyrics to being able to write stories? Was it like a natural sort of crossover to get towards writing something longer? I don't know. Probably because it opened up the idea that I could try other things beyond music. You know, like I've always struggled with like doubts and little inferiority complexes and stuff. And even making a jump into writing like writing poems, you know, even it's only relatively in the last kind of year or so I always feel comfortable about saying it. You know, I, I write little poems, quite like doing it. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, for years I would have like, we are, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. what's, what's this, balked? Is that the, yeah, that yeah, balked, yeah, yeah. balked at the idea of it? Don't know why. Yeah. Perhaps it's this whole thing going back to when you, you know, I didn't know anyone that did that stuff. Yeah. Um, you don't meet many of those down Millwall, do you? No, you don't. <laughs> more, more than you probably think. No, no, you don't meet them. But yeah, 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 yeah. Or you're going out with my mates and you know, in, in getting pissed up in the weather spoons. You know, it wasn't really happening. Yeah. But I think going to as soon as you asked the question, it made me think of 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 the poetry cafe and sitting in that basement for like for me it was like two years. Mm. I didn't really go anywhere else for two years. I was just there, you know, fairly regular. Unplugged. Unplugged, yeah, yeah, yeah. sitting in that basement every Tuesday. And uh, once I'd sort of, uh, you know, kind of got into it, and it took a long time, but it's like, all right, and you think, fucking, you know, little ideas start popping up, and you think, oh, yeah, I could have a little little go at this, you know? And I, I remember being at home, I didn't even have Microsoft Word. I had a, I, I'd saved up and bought a laptop, it was the first computer I'd ever owned, so I could record. I was still doing a lot of music then, and I, I recorded like a little mixtape. So I did it so I, I could record it. But you know, I had what, what's that? The little, the little default word processor you get, like Notepad or whatever. Mm. I had that, and I used to. <laughs> I don't know why, but all of the stuff I, I wrote, and this is probably from like two thousand and six, for a couple of years. Where it's all in, all on notepad and all in block capitals. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. I don't know why. Like an angry teen on YouTube. That's yeah, yeah, but I don't. I don't think I was trying to convey anger for no, some no, reason. No. I just wrote in capitals. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. But uh, but there was a. There's definitely a point, and I've still got them. Where I, along those like somewhere in between, where I started actually writing fairly regularly, like little poems, mm. where I've gone on. Oh, I'm gonna have a little go at a story. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, there, and there was a couple of early ones, and then I think my dad said, "Well, you, you should go and do a little evening course in in creative writing." It's like creative writing. What's that? You know what I mean? <laughs> but I did, and I yeah. went to I went to Workbeck uh, okay. in two thousand and eight, and but yeah, I think going to the open wax and writing these little poems and sitting in. I don't know. It suddenly opens up, opened up my mind to the, mm. the possibility of, you know, there's other things you can do, and it's like, that's kind of, kind of pretty exciting and very overwhelming at the same time. Mm. But yeah, yeah, it did. It did. One, yeah. one of the most interesting things I I find from like hanging around like the open mic scene is 
seeing people come along fresh, going absolutely fucking mental and doing every open mic for like yeah. two months or something, yeah. or longer, and then realising that it doesn't have to be five minute slots or poems or anything, it could be anything else. And then seeing them disappear off into their little click yeah. and find where they want to be. It's interesting to see, because I, I can never tell quite which direction people are going to go in. It's interesting yeah. to see them think, ah, oh, shit, this... And a lot of it, I think, is you get a lot of people who think that writing isn't for them. And yeah. they're embarrassed about admitting they yeah. want to be... And it's quite a big... It's, that's why I'm sort of asking, because I know... In, you sort of talked about having a slight, maybe having slight inferiority complex and stuff. And maybe it's ne- it was necessary for you to take small steps towards the writing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Without it being yeah. too much of a like coming out process till we make some of that. that I you want to be I a think, writer. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what? It took years. Yeah. Even going to even going to I remember like going to unplugged, physically going there after work one day just to find where the place was I didn't even go in I'm not, I'm not even joking it was like that was huge for me yeah, yeah. you know I was like what the hell am I doing and then and if you know my, I remember my dad told me about it because he he worked with someone I, I must have told my dad at some point dad look I've been writing these little poems you know as if like, I'm coming out <laughs> do you know what I mean but then my dad was into it my dad's very resourceful and he just, he, I don't know, he just knows about stuff. He's like, oh, there's a lady I work with who's right into all of that. She says, you should go to this place. So I was like, all right. So, uh, yeah, I went and just going there. And then, and it was probably weeks and before I even plucked up the courage to actually go to mm-hmm. the night. I remember I was like, I, I got, the first time I went, I went to the place looked on the little sign outside, saw that it was a uh, Tuesdays, this t- sign up at this time, whatever yeah, yeah. whatever it was. I can't remember now, but I think that's enough for me today. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I went home. I was like, oh, I've, I've made that step. So I can even remember what, what music I had on my iPod. Mm. It was, a, it was, um, it was a, like a techno, te- I don't even know why I, why I had it. It was like a Dave Seaman, like techno mix, but I remember having it and like finding that because it's a little side street, isn't it? Yeah. It's quite an interesting little street, yeah. and the poetry cafe is like you, you don't immediately see it. It's like very flat, yeah, like yeah, sunk yeah. into the wall. But yeah, and it, I never, then the first time I went, oh mate, I think I might have even took my mate with me. I think I asked my mate, who's he's like my best mate really, and like he knew that I was doing this stuff and was quite understanding and. I think like brother, I'm well nervous, and I, I just watched, and I couldn't even sign up, mm-hmm. and I did that for I think a month. So I went every week and just sat and watched, and when I did finally sign up, uh, I remember even when I, I can't remember exactly what he said, and he was kind of like, you know, quite encouraging. He's like, oh, you, you're gonna do it. It's not like yeah, because <laughs> every week, you know, I was building. To me, it was huge. Yeah. I was building up to it for weeks. And all day at work, you're sitting there thinking, oh, what am I doing? And, you know, and I, I remember I practised and practised that I had three that I was going to do. So I knew the time limit. And uh, I had a whole bunch of these little poems by this point, but I was practising and then I, I was trying to learn them, but I, I never, I just, I didn't, I lost my bottle. I think I went up and just did it. But just doing it was, was torture. It's funny, isn't it, how you go from, talking about 
putting on nights with like local rude boys coming yeah. and being punched yeah, up to every yeah. event and you still yeah. going back and while, while that is not block parties in Queens in the 90s yeah. with people shooting each other it's still yeah. quite a rough environment yeah. and you get used to that kind of pressure and it's no longer intimidating but then going into a basement I think it's a really important lesson I think for people to put nights on or something to bear in mind is that it doesn't matter how welcoming you think you're making a night it still scares the fucking life out of people if, yeah. if people haven't got up, gotten up and read before how terrifying that yeah. it still maintains this uh, exterior of like being this exclusive like middle class mm-hmm. educated thing you know When but when you're in it obviously you know it's different you know yeah, everyone yeah. gets up everyone you know there's especially at Unplugged you get a real mix of yeah. people and then yeah. events like Spoken Word London and and uh, nights we used to run and stuff but from the outside it's still terrifying because everyone know, looks like they know what they're doing yeah you know and yeah, you're coming yeah. in you don't even know where to sit or yeah 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 <laughs> who to pay yeah what yeah <laughs> what is. yeah yeah and like I, even i get in my i get really rumbly tummy and something about that basement and the silence it suddenly and probably being nerves it sets my tummy <laughs> you know and i had routine like, and i'm sitting there trying to like you know as if putting your arms around your, around your tummy is going to stop it but you think oh yeah. the hell am I? everyone's thinking he's this weird kid he's yeah, this yeah. like I used to sit at the end of the row, right near the wall. So you know, you know what it's like in there. It's mm. you know, if you if you're if you're on the end of a row, a site that isn't in the aisle, like you yeah you can't get out. <laughs> like you got to wait to the break. But I specifically wanted to sit in a dark corner so yeah. I could just you know, and maybe occasionally I would speak to the person next to me. You know, and mm. that was and all there were a couple of people that I would speak to after a while you know and you sort of say hello to him and I'd sort of sit next to him uh, but yeah, I didn't really other than that and Niall I wouldn't really talk to anyone yeah. and uh, I don't know because it was, it was to me it was hard enough just being there but it's funny isn't it like you, I never really got used to the MC and I hated all the aggro that yeah, went yeah. with it I couldn't stand it yeah. you know like that you'd be and particularly MC and we were running nights so running nights is well stressful right and then performing, and to me was hard enough. And then just getting every week, just like dickheads coming right up to you, like, give me the mic, bro. <laughs> and you think, there's no other, I don't think there's any other fucking art form, or maybe there is, I don't know. If you're in a band, you don't just go on the stage to the guitar and give me a go on that guitar, bro. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you're shit. Let me have it. And now, dealing with that, I hated all of that. But then it was a whole different world. But I'm, I mean, I'm a bit inclined to say there should be more of that in poetry. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you should be able to get up and demand the mic over this. I think, yeah, or heckling. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's got to be more of that, I think. But um, I, I don't know what it was. And I think also, I've always been quite conscious about how I speak. When I was a kid, you know, my mum and dad were always like, you can't speak properly, you're gonna go to we're gonna have to send you a speech therapy I mean they never did but and school would say the same thing I actually find talking quite difficult mm. which is which is odd considering this path I've chosen sometimes it's like words get like it's like a traffic jam in my mouth mm. and it just don't come out very well you know and I've always been overly conscious of that I mean I, I don't really give a shit anymore I mean it's worked in my favour weirdly enough but I, you know, so I was thinking, a, 
who's going to want to hear what, what I've got to say and how I say it? I'm going to get laughed at. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, it, and I remember being there, maybe this is one of the first times, I don't know, but it was certainly in that early period where uh, a young lad gets up, quite well spoken, and, and this is a typical example but of why I wouldn't have gone. And he, you know, nothing wrong with the kid, but his little introductory pattern was that like, I've been reading lots of Keats. And, you know, and it gets a few sort of murmurs of approval. Mm. I didn't even know who Keats was. And, and I felt not only embarrassed, but like ashamed and sort of humiliated. And like, I'm a fucking moron. What am I doing here? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it, getting over that, I, I don't even know how I've ever got over it. But, but what, the one thing I've always had ever since I was young uh, is, is drive. I've just not really known what to do with it. That's been the problem. That's why I thought, as soon as I started writing lyrics, I'm like, right, got to perform, got to put events on, I've got to do something. And so there was, you know, I was always short of confidence and self-belief and all of that, but I just had this incessant drive. And I think that's just kept me going back there every week because I, I actually hated it. Do you know what I mean? It's like putting yourself through torture every fucking... And it would start right at the start of the day. You think, I'll be at work. It's Tuesday. I've got to go. I've told myself I'm going to go. I'm going to fucking go. And you know what I mean? It just builds up throughout the day. And I'd always work out what I was going to do. I always tried... When I went there, and I always never wanted to do the same thing that I'd done a week before. I always tried to bring something that I hadn't done before. You know what I mean? And I did that for a long time. So I always had to have something fresh, you know, something I'd not performed. So I'd get it ready, like, the night before. And then you walk in there and it's like, fuck. <laughs> and I'm trying to convince myself to go somewhere else or not yeah. blah, blah. And sometimes I didn't even make it. Sometimes I'd go, I'd start walking, like, fuck it, and just go home. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, why put yourself through that? But somewhere underneath it was this... Oh yeah, Drive, I, mean, like, do you know what I, mean? I can't tell the story again on here of my first time reading. It yeah. was unplugged as well, but um, I, I hated it. But yeah. I was compelled to come back yeah. and, and went every Tuesday for six weeks, you know. And uh, now I'm stuck with poetry. <laughs> anyway, we'll have a, another reading, please, Paul. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, man. That's right. Why should get me started? <laughs> There's a reason why that last piece will turbo breeze. <laughs> right. This is called um, Trap It. I was walking home from work, tying a shirt, trousers and shoes. Got to the cul-de-sac near my house. Some young boys were playing football on the green. Full kit, replica tops, shirts, socks and astro boots. They must have been about 10. I must have been about 30. I was minding my own business. Musing on the difference between Walker's Max and Real McCoy's. When one of the kids has overhit a kick and the ball rolled over towards me, I froze until my heartbeat started to rise rapidly, suddenly going up a gear whilst time seemed to slow down. Out of nowhere, I heard a crowd, some cockney sounding coach. Red face, bulging blood vessels in his neck, Chelsea tattoos and a pink Ralph, spit coming out of his mouth, screaming at the top of his voice, Keep it simple! Keep it simple! I took a breath. I told myself, Don't try and be flash. Just trap it. 
get it under control and play it back. Just before the ball reached my feet, another voice deep inside the isolation unit of my mind jumped up and screamed out, this is your chance. You've got to take it. Show them your skills. Somewhere in between thinking about those two opposing views, I stuck my right leg out and my right leg was confused, unsure what to do. The ball hit the outside of my black leather lace-up shoe, taking all the power out and meekly trickling behind me like water drops dribbling out of a tap in a drought and rolling into the road. Like my very own You've Been Framed video. Shit. I slapped my forehead. Just to rub salt into my wounds, I looked up and the kids in the replica kits were laughing and making wanker signs at me. I put my hands up and said, Sorry boys, I just ain't got it anymore. <laughs> Cheers. I was walking, uh, I think it was through Regent's Park. Yeah. And uh, a ball come flying over and bounced towards this fella. And I was like, kicked it back and he just went, no, 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 not doing it. Just walks off. He would go anywhere near the ball. <laughs> it's a terrifying moment. It is. There's something about that, isn't it? It's like... You know, you're adult, man. You go, you all, all those adult normalities that that you that come to be part of your day to day life, and something like that suddenly it's like nothing else matters. Yeah. It's like don't fuck it up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we're running out of time. Oh, sorry, but it's all right. Don't worry. No, 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 no. So we'll finish off with um, where can people check out your work if they want to? Uh, yeah, on SoundCloud. Um, SoundCloud. We've got lots of. Lots of tracks uploaded on there. Um, dot com forward slash Paul Cree, so P A U L C R E E. There are a few videos on YouTube. There's a couple of new ones recently. Um, got my website, which is paulcree.blogspot.co.uk. Um, I, I had a had handle that I've recently lost. Uh, Yes, kind of about it. Twitter, I suppose. Yeah, I'll put the links in the description for yeah, wherever yeah. people are listening to this. It oh, should be below us. Yeah, yeah. I've got an EP on Bandcamp as well. I worked with a musician. That's paulcree.bandcamp.com. You can listen to that. It's all Checking stories out. and stuff. And I think we should meet up again and have a chat about the longer writing. Yeah. Now we've been over the poetry stuff. It'll yeah. Be good. Um, cheers, Paul. Oh, thank you very much, mate. That was uh, fun, man. Yeah, it's good. Um, see you lot later.